And welcome in for another edition of the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Report. Gary Stein along with UMBC head men's basketball coach Ryan Odom. We'll talk to Ryan about his basketball team in a moment. A little bit later on, we'll visit with one of his assistant coaches. And he's been with you for quite a while, yes. actually, in a lot yeah. of different places. Nate Dixon will stop by. And my broadcast partner, John Feinstein, will wrap it up with him a little bit later on. But first, let's get into some UMBC basketball. Yes. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been here. Let's go back to the Vermont game at home, the second of two matchups with the University of Vermont. And all of a sudden, UMBC cannot lose to Vermont. Nah, I don't in know fact, about that. Well, well. But you guys have, have defeated them. You're the only team that's been able to beat them so far in the conference. Take us back to that game, and what was the difference for you guys in that game? Yeah, I mean, certainly it was our defense. You know, the defense was clicking that night. Uh, you know, we were able to force some hard shots, you know, for Vermont, and they certainly did that to us as well. So it was a really uh, kind of nasty game in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, I thought it obviously a great win, you know, for, for our guys in the program. Uh, Vermont, we got so much respect for them. And, and interestingly enough, I mean, that was the first time that we had played them with Anthony Lamb. As you know, the first game that right. we played him, he, he didn't play. And what a player he is and what a team they have. And, uh, you know, certainly we caught him on a good night and uh, were able to, to come out with a win. I liked your comment in the show before the Vermont game, and Brandon Horvath actually echoed it, saying, look, guys, no matter what happens in the game against Vermont, we're not going to win the championship. Yeah. We're not going to lose the championship in this game. You know, this is just a game. Yet at the same time, it was a nationally televised game. It was. And it was great exposure for the program. What, what, looking back on it now, was there a little bit more of an edge or you know, something that's a little bit more important about winning it like that on national TV? Yeah, no question. I mean, anytime you're able to play on national TV like that on ESPNU, that, it's a great thing for the program. It's great uh, exposure, you know, for our university. It's great exposure for our players, and and the America East is in, in as as a whole. And uh, I think we represented it extremely well by both teams and, mm -hmm. and the quality of play, uh, you know, that particular night. And uh, you know, certainly Vermont's had a had an amazing run here, and and you know, certainly the time that I've been at at UMBC. And, and, you know, been, been the gold standard, you know, of our league. And uh, that, that particular night, it was, a, it was a great night. It was UMBC's night. And even though it was very tight, you know, throughout, it was in doubt, you know, pretty mm -hmm. much the entire game. And those are the kind of games that you want to watch, you know, as a fan. And then after that, UMBC, and it's always a tough road trip to go to upstate New York and take on UAlbany and then on to Stony Brook after that. Let's talk about the UAlbany game. You had held Vermont to 4 of 24 from three-point distance, and you were one of the better three-point defensive teams in the conference pretty much all season. But Albany made some shots, and uh, they were able to win, I think, by nine, if I'm not mistaken. Talk a little bit about that game and how difficult it was up there. Yeah, I mean, it was very difficult. You know, we, we really had our, a tough time getting our arms around the defensive side of the ball and impacting their ability to make shots. You know, they scored inside, they scored outside, and uh, when, you're, when you give – you know, both up, you know, both sides of it up, uh, chances for a big number uh, are, are, are right there. And certainly that was the case. Uh, they've got some really, really good shooters, some lights-out shooters, and they've got good size like, you know, Will has always had, you know, at, at uh, Albany, guys that are tough in and around the rim and, and really, really guard you well. And they did that night. You know, they did a really good job of, of uh, you know, forcing hard shots on, on their end. Uh, but then their offense was clicking, and we couldn't really get, get it switched around. 
And that's important because UMBC is going to take on Albany in the first round of the America East Conference Tournament. We'll talk about that in a moment. Let's move on to Stony Brook. I thought you guys defended better against Stony Brook, but Stony Brook made some tough three-pointers with hands in their face in that game. So I just think, you know, just watching it, that was some pretty good offense on on Stony Brook's part. Yeah, I mean, they're an explosive team, Mm -hmm. and uh, that was a big night for them. They knew what they had coming past that, you know, some hard games on the road. And so it was a big game, you know, certainly for them. It was a big game for us as well. And uh, they got off to a, you know, a lights-out start, you know, on us. And uh, certainly a lot to be learned from both games, you know, for, for our young team here uh, as we head into the playoffs. Uh, you got to play your best basketball at the end. And, you know, I think we got a, away for a little bit from our identity. Uh, and that's certainly on the defensive side of the ball this season. And, uh, you know, we've got to get it back, you know, heading into the conference tournament. And then New Hampshire, um, their record doesn't, belie how scrappy and physical they are any bill harry and coach team is going to be that way and they were and they took an 18 point lead on you guys with about 12 minutes to go it was one of the biggest comebacks that i can remember in school history Uh, talk about the point when they were 18 down you called a timeout you're not a particularly big yeller we know that and you decided to teach you brought out the whiteboard and you drew up a play or whatever it was and you guys were able to make that comeback yeah, but we knew we had to get a bucket on that that particular play. You know, we're down 48 to 30 or whatever it was, you know, at that time. And, you know, I just told the guys, like, you know, I'm not bailing you out right now by yelling at you and getting you all excited. Like, you're going to have to do it yourselves. This is your season, all right? This is your time. And we're either going to step up and play with some passion and, and make a game of it or we're not. And, you know, KJ got them together and, and you know, talked to the team after we – you know, kind of dispersed. Bryce actually did a nice job of, you know, you know, kind of showing his passion to the team as well. And, uh, you know, the, the players followed. And, and, you know, that particular night was about trying to find a lineup, you know, that, that could have some success out there together. And we finally found one kind of right at the end that, you know, was willing to defend like we needed them to and then offensively was able to, to, to score some baskets because we were really having a hard time there scoring for a while. And uh, offense kind of sputtered. Um, and they just really, to our guys' credit, they picked it up on defense and they forced hard shots. And, and you know, they just really chipped away at the lead. And, and it's not easy to do. I mean, you get down 18 with that amount of time left, you know, typically you're going to lose. And uh, maybe you make a little bit of a game of it. But fouls kind of, you know, take over and, and you get a little bit over aggressive and do some things that maybe you wouldn't necessarily do. And to our guys' credit, they played without foul on that entire, you know, segment. And they really didn't get into that bonus until right at the end there. And that was really important for the the finish. A couple more things on that game. Um, Brandon Horvath has been hampered with a hand injury really for the last – 10 or 11 games, but he you found something in the second yeah. half. You went to him repeatedly. Most of the points he scored were actually from the free throw line. Sure. He had 13 in the second half, and that seemed to be what your offense needed. Yeah, no doubt, and we were getting it inside to him, and he was getting fouled on shot fakes and some plays there in and around the basket. They were locking out with some of our shooters, and, and we, had to, we had to score near the rim, and Brandon did a nice job of, of getting fouled, and then you, know, you obviously have to make your free throws at that point, and, and he did that as well. 
and then another uh, Ricky Council type moment. Jose Placer hadn't played for a, maybe the last 13 minutes of that game yeah. because you were looking for that lineup that you needed. And then you bring him off the bench, and he comes in and hits the game-winning three with two seconds left, just like Ricky Council did the other night against Albany a couple months, you know, like last month. And uh, another brilliant coaching move. I don't know about that. I don't know about Uh, that. But, you know, K.J. fouled out, obviously. And and so we were in a situation where we we had to decide who was going in. And and, uh, obviously we have a ton of confidence in Jose. He can really shoot the basketball. And, you know, credit to Josh Rosario for pushing the ball huge. up the court. I mean, he, he was, you know, gave us a huge lift with his energy and, and defense out there. And, and obviously, he was very key in that last play, you know, driving it up the court, finding Joe, and then Joe now trusting, right. you know, Jose on that, that kick out, you know, was a tremendous play for our team. And talk a little bit about Josh. I, I looked at the box score, and it's, in, it's an often unnoticed number, but the plus-minus category, oh, yeah. I think he may have been the only guy on the court that had a plus category, sure. and he was plus 17. Yeah, so yeah. he took one shot, made <laughs> one point, and was plus 17. Yeah, he had a key block, too, around the rim. Uh, they rolled a guy down there, and guy had a shot open, and he was the help defender and came over and saved a basket. Right. And we needed every basket saved at that point. And, you know, defensively, we were able to, to win the game. And, and the ironic thing about it was, Coming off those other two games, we, we going into this one, we said we want to win a game with our defense. And certainly, you know, that was exactly what happened. We were able to, to stop them on numerous possessions down the stretch. I think they scored three points or something like that, you know, or five, whatever it was, you know, in the, in the last however many minutes, uh, which gave us a chance to win. And then let's move on to Albany. You've got you, – you guys are locked in as the number three. They're locked in as the number six. You've had two tough games with them. Yeah. You eked out a one-point win here. Sure. had the nine-point loss up there. Like you say, inside-outside, tough team. Brown is the coach. He finds those kind of players. What are you thinking of as this game approaches? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a tough game, you know, for both teams, without a doubt. I mean, just because we're home doesn't mean, you know, right. all of a sudden we're going to, you know, win the game. We've got it. We're going to have to play really well in order to win. We're going to have to play the game at our pace. You know, it's two, you know, two teams that are pretty good on defense. Uh, you know, they've got some guys that can really shoot the basketball, and we've got to make sure that those shots are contested and we limit how many they get off, you know, mm-hmm. because you know, they're, they, they're excellent. If you let them, let them get shots off, they're going, chances are they're going to knock them down. And, you know, from a defensive side of the ball as well, we've got to be able to rebound. You know, they're a really good rebounding team. They put a lot of pressure on you at the basket. Uh, Mod Clark is, is really playing well down the stretch here. Uh, and now he's brought him off the bench, bench at this point, yep. but he's he's really a starter. And the freshman has really stepped up. D'Souza, who they inserted into the lineup, didn't really play much here, but right. started at at Albany when we played up there and had 15 points and uh, played really well. So it'll be a hard fought game, and uh, you know we're excited to be able to to get out there and, and play in the playoffs. Final thought: R.J. Idlerock, your point guard, missed the last couple of games. Yep. He hurt his hand in the Albany game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? right now yeah I mean certainly we're hoping to get him back uh we're not sure yet you know kind of where where he's at at this point you know we're going to stick him out in practice and kind of see what he can tolerate similar to Brandon you know and in, in, in his recovery and getting back but you know we've had one of those years unfortunately where the injuries have, have kind of taken hold and you know to our guys credit they haven't ever used it as an excuse and uh they've just found ways you know to continue to to play good basketball and so we've got to continue to do that. Hopefully we'll have them. If not, you know, it's next, yep, man, next up, man up. And, right. uh, you know, we'll, we'll play. 
Sounds good. We will uh, take a break, actually, and then we'll be back with a guy who seems to be joined at the hip with this guy, mm -hmm. Nate Dixon, the assistant coach to Ryan Odom, will join us when the UMBC Ryan Odom basketball report continues right after this. And welcome back to the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Report. Gary Stein, along with Ryan Odom, head men's basketball coach at UMBC. And joined by this guy, assistant coach Nate Dixon, one of the true good guys in the game. How are you? Good. Good to be here. Absolutely. And thank you for all you do for us, by the way, as far as media is concerned. I appreciate it. Appreciate what you guys do. Absolutely. You guys have a long history. This isn't the first job that you guys have been involved with. How did... I don't mean to say, like, how did you first meet, because yeah. that doesn't sound right. <laughs> but, but what was that like when you guys did first meet? Is that for me or for that's Coach? For you. That's, that's, that's for gonna you. That's going to be for well, you. Honestly, um, I have to go back, and, and Coach, we've talked about this through the years, mm -hmm. but I grew up in North Carolina as well, obviously with who his dad is. And, you know, growing up in the ACC country, you kind of know, you grow up watching that. Um, and so you obviously knew who his dad was, and I was fortunate to attend five-star basketball camp. Mm. Whose dad and Ryan was a little kid running around, and as I, you know, we're just a couple years apart. But it's kind of ironic in college. I used to, to you know, before college, went to five-star, knew who his dad was, and who Howard Garfinkel, the late Howard Garfinkel, who's whose influence on him and his family, and actually had a, a pretty good influence on me as I got older. Um, but um, kind of how it came about, and. and Without him knowing this, was I used to work, and I think we've talked about this, Virginia's basketball camp when his dad was there, Jeff Jones, who was one of his former bosses. And so I kind of just traveled, you know, in college because I thought I wanted to coach, but it's so hard to get into it um, unless you played at a certain level. And I was fortunate to meet a lot of guys that way. And so I kind of knew the family when I was younger, but then, you know, I think we kind of knew each other. And then it crosses paths because you're in the same profession. There's only – you know, at the time, when so, I came, so many there's only so yeah. many jobs. Right. I mean, there's, you know, at the time when there's 302, I mean, you know, there's like 1,200 or you know, 1,300 jobs in the business in Division One, And, you know, so you kind of look at guys that, that you um, are, I, I don't know mentor is the right word because I didn't know him as a good friend then as I do now. He's mm -hmm. a mentor, obviously. But you look up to guys and you try to, you know, see – he has such a different temperament than I do. Mm -hmm. And so when I was younger, it kind of came across like, you know what, how, why is his dad the way he is? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as I got to know Lane before him really well, you know, and then I, I kind of figured it out. So I, I would say from the outside in, I knew Ryan before Ryan knew me. Does that make sense? It does, so I knew actually. Of, of that group. Yeah. So. And, you know, Coach, I was going to ask you, and you guys – started coaching together, if I'm not mistaken, at D2 Lenora Ryan? Ryan. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, actually, the first that, time was before Charlotte. That, yeah. Oh, Charlotte was before Charlotte, that. Yeah. So how long have you two been actually coaching together now? Since Charlotte. Seven, I'm trying guess, to figure right? out. Seven years, I think. Yeah. I think it's year seven. So my, my question to you is, yeah. do you think alike? Or do you, or do you like complement each other with your thoughts, or do you challenge each other? Like, I, I don't know if I'm saying that right or not. <laughs> yeah. But how, no, how do you guys think I, together? I think anytime, you know, you know, you're in a situation where you're on a staff together. You know, what you want to do for as a head coach, at least for me, you want to have 
you know, folks on your staff, they're going to compliment you. You don't want guys that are going to be exactly the same as you. You mm -hmm. want guys that are going to challenge you, all right, and, and help you think, you know, sometimes, you know, a little bit outside of the box, a little differently than you might be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. and, and certainly all these guys, you know, in their own way, you know, challenge me each and every day. And, you know, ultimately as the head coach, you know, you have to, you know, make the final decisions on what happens. Um, but, you know, I, I feel nothing but supported and loved by the guys that I have on my staff. Obviously, you know, we're talking about Nate right now, but, you know, I remember meeting Nate probably when he, he was just after he had left maybe Queens. He was coaching at Division Two Queens, and they were top-notch. I mean, you know, top in the country, you know, at that point. He was working, you know, there for, for Bart. He was a great coach and is back there now actually mm. at, at Queens. And uh, he left there and went to, to Stetson and was working at Stetson. And a guy that he worked with uh, named John Kaufman is now the coach at, at, what is it, Indian? Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne. Yeah. Uh, he and I played against one another in college. And so that was kind of the initial connection. And yeah, his man. head coach was a guy by the name of Derek Waugh who played at Furman. And I had visited Furman coming mm -hmm. out of high school. It's amazing. And uh, he was a great player at Furman. And uh, that was kind of the first time that we met. And you know how it is in coaching circles. You just, you know, you see one another out recruiting and, you know, you, you, you chat with one another while you're sitting there watching a game or whatever and you stay connected. And, you know, that's kind of how it happened with, uh, with Nate and I. And then we, and the first time we ever worked on a staff together was at, at UNC Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously I got a ton of respect for him. Uh, or else he wouldn't be here right now with me. No, absolutely. And you guys, when you're not pacing the sideline or doing whatever you need to do as a head coach, when when you're actually sitting, you guys sit right next to each other. Yeah. Okay. Do, are there and you know heat heat of the battle, heat of the game. I I totally get all that. But are and you guys have known each other for so long. Are there ever any lighter moments or like a, a moment where you would just like kind of break the ice a little bit and kind of lighten things up or does, does anything like that? It was funny. It's it's um I, I guess I've done it so long. Um, I think we've been in it the same number of years, mm -hmm. 22 or 23 yeah. years. And, and, mm -hmm. and I've worked at different levels. And, and I've been fortunate that I've worked for four first-year head coaches. So I felt like when I, he was first, you know, he was the interim at Charlotte but then got the job at LR and we had worked together at Charlotte. You know, it was, it was unique because I think when I first started and I was working for first-year head coaches, it's a little different. It's a little nerve-wracking, you know. And, and so I'd done it a few times and I, I kind of felt like, I, I was accustomed to maybe right. what he did or didn't need to hear, you know, and I'm not saying I'm correct all the time, but my really? point was just not yelling in his ear or, you know, sometimes you know, hey, I better not say anything and I better just, you know, let it go. And it's hard sometimes because his mind's churning as a head coach. He's working two sides of the ball. He's thinking substitutions. Mm -hmm. he's, he's got a lot going on, you know, and so sometimes it's nice if the assistants, you know, we're fortunate here, we, he lets us focus you know, on the whole game, but we kind of have certain areas that we focus on. And, and um, you know, it's really unique because he, he, he gives us a voice. But at the same time, you know, his voice is the voice. And all we're there is to support and make sure his message gets across to the players. And that's really right. you know, why we're here. So if I'm not mistaken, you're pretty much in charge of the scout for the next opponent. Well, it's, it's, it's funny. We all are a part of it. Okay. You know, we all, we all do, do, do our portions. And we've had it split up so that that way everybody has a say okay. in how Coach does it. So, you know, it's, it's, one guy will do personnel. One guy will do the defensive portion of, the, of that scout. And the other guy will do offense. And, you know, then Coach will meet with all of us together. And we all have an opinion on 
or voice, you know, in it. But, you know, it's kind of like you, you, you should probably only stay in your lane because mm -hmm. really you need to study your lane and not the other guy's lane, mm -hmm. so to speak. Right. So, you know, it's it, it took me a while. I worked for a guy once, and, you know, there were specific things that he gave. On, on, and he would ask all the time about that. And it got me to where I wouldn't even think about the other side of the ball. So working for him, it's kind of neat because you – you still get to think about both sides, but you better know what you're doing, you know. And, right. and, and I actually take pride in it. I, I know our other guys do as well. But I kind of try to put myself in the shoes. Well, what will they run right here? If we're doing this, what are the two to five or ten plays they may run when we do this? Or, you know, late in the game the other day, you know, against New Hampshire, you know, if he hadn't have asked, I might not have said something. Or I might even say, Coach, let me show you a couple things. And usually he'll say to one of us, Hey, you got any ideas what they might do here? But it's our job to know that, you right. know. I mean, it's it's also our job to put him in position to, to look good, you know, mm -hmm. and say, hey, we know what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean we're right, right, but you know, that's in scouting. It's kind of you know, it's kind of a group effort, right? So, so the assistant coaches will prepare the scout for the upcoming opponent, and then what do they do, coach? Present it to you? Like, how how does that? then get to you and what do you we, do? We work together on it. I mean, obviously we all watch individual film of the next opponent and we watch film of ourselves. You know, how can we prove ourselves? So it's, there's two sides to it. You know, we've got to get our team better. We've got to help our team play the best that they can play. You know, trying to figure out, you know, what's our identity? You know, what can we do on offense? You know, what are some things that we can do? on the defensive side of the ball to move the needle a little bit and help us improve. But then there's also the scouting side where you're focused on the opponent and, you know, how can we, you know, make sure that, you know, our guys understand how we want to guard it. Some of it's just principle-based, but then there's also some things where we, we've got to know, like, this, 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 guy, could, right? this could really bother us right. if we allow this to happen over and over again. And so the players got to have to know that. And, you know, how we get our message across. First off, you got to figure out what those things are. And so we meet, you know, and we watch a lot of film together and we talk about it. And, you know, sometimes different opinions are going around. And then ultimately we've got to settle in on, okay, we're going to do this. This is what we're doing. And then we'll, we'll, we'll let the chips fall where they may. If we do it right and you do it to the best of your ability and you still don't win, well, we, we did what we were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And we gave ourselves a chance. And, you know, certainly you've got to be able to fix things within the game. I mean, that's, that's what coaches, coaching coaches is. Do, right. You know, you've got to be able to fix things as they're coming at you fast. And what you think going in may not be What's what happening. actually happens. Right. And you've right. got to be able to adjust sometimes. Right. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what coaching, and that's why it's, it's fun. Right. You know, that's why we all love it. But, you know, I do enjoy having each of these guys on the staff because they all bring something a little bit different in a positive way to the table. And uh, the way we do it, is not necessarily the way that a lot of staff and other staffs where, you know, Nate has the next scout and nobody else has any, any mm -hmm. other involvement in it other than the head coach. And I like it to where everybody's got, mm -hmm. you know, everybody's engaged. And we ask our players to be engaged on every game. I want to make sure that our coaches are engaged on every game. And that way it's a total team effort. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not he's got this scout and then he's thinking about two games ahead we got to focus on the here and the now, and uh, our staff's done a great job of that. I'm talking about our the assistant coaches have right. done a great job in that. Um, Nate, we probably only have about a minute or so left here, too, actually. Um, if you're a fan coming to this game, uh, UMBC and Albany, the first round co uh, conference tournament game, what are some of the things that, and you've done the scout, and you, you know the personnel, what are some of the things that the fans should be looking for in this game? Well, the, the physicality of Albany, mm -hmm. you know, as, as – 
that that's their identity, um, you know, and they, they, they made threes up there. You know, we've had, uh, we, we played a good game here. Um, you know, we were fortunate to win. Uh, but at the same time, we went up there and, and took a punch or two early. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's kind of how they play. They try to enforce their style on you. And, you know, we've, we're going to have to step up physical, you know, the physicality of the game. We're going to have to box out. We're going to have to contest three-point shots. You know, they made a lot of them early on us up there. And, you know, we've got to do some things uh, early to, to stop those things and then see how they counterpunch, you know. And that's what we're hoping for, you know, is, is we can come in and do the things that we need to do. And, and step up to the physical part of the game, and then we'll shut them down, and then let's see how they react. And, you know, we've got to do that. We can't let them punch first. So, you know, we're hoping that on that side of the ball that we can impose our will. And we've been able to do that some this year. And, and there's opportunities that we haven't as well, or mm-hmm. games that we didn't. So, you know, it's a challenge for us because they're good. They're, they're young. They're getting better as the season's going on. You know, anyone that looks at it has seen that they're – They started over lost. five in the conference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And – you know, and they're young. They're very young at the guards and, and, and young in the post. So, so now they're starting to figure out their lineups, mm-hmm. the sets that work, the actions that work. They want to, Now their physicality of how he wants, Coach Brown wants, things are starting to click a little better for them. And, and it should. Everybody wants to play better at the end of the year. Yeah. So, you know, we're up for the challenge, you know, and, and I'm sure they'll bring one. So. Yeah. It's going to be tough, but it's yeah. going to be good. Guys, thank you so much. We really appreciate I you. I appreciate it. Thanks everything, for your time. everything you do for us. That's uh, assistant coach Nate Dixon. We'll take a time out here. Our third segment, John Feinstein, my broadcast partner, will join us when we return as the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Report continues right after this. Respect is hard work, respect is dedication. Respect is earned on the court or on the field. Respect doesn't judge based on sexual orientation or gender identity. Respect is being the first conference to partner with the You Can Play Project. And the first conference in the LGBT Sports Safe Founders Club. Respect coaches, players, and the game. Respect similarities. Respect differences. Spread respect. Spread respect. Spread respect. And welcome back to the UMBC Ryan Odom Coaches Report. Gary Stein and head coach Ryan Odom from UMBC. And as we always do in our third segment, joined by my partner in crime on the ESPN broadcast, John Feinstein. Welcome in, my friend. How are you today? Gary, Ryan, good to talk to you guys. Looking forward to Saturday. Absolutely. And, John, we've got to start off. Ryan and I were actually just talking about it in the break. We've got to give you credit, okay? (laughs) And you know how difficult this is for me to do. Um, but for calling basically how that UMBC University of New Hampshire game would end. That was, that was pretty cosmic of you, my friend. Well, you, you know, I, obviously there was a, a huge element of luck involved in that I said with, what, about four or five minutes to go that I thought the game was going to end with someone from UMBC hitting a three-point shot to win the game. Now, there was a little bit of intelligence involved in that <laughs> I, I sensed, and we had been talking about it, obviously, Gary, and Ryan, I know you felt it on the bench, too, because we talked after the game, that uh, New Hampshire had lost its momentum. UMBC had turned the game around. Uh, they, they had turned up their defense, um, that, and, and New Hampshire, a team that had only won four games, was, was starting to struggle, and I really felt that UMBC had an excellent chance to win the game. Now, the part about making a three was just one of those things. You know, a a lot of us believe in the basketball gods, and UMBC hadn't made a three since Bill Clinton was president. (laughs) They they won for 20 against 
uh, Stony Brook. And then I think at that point in the game, one for 17 or one for 18 on Saturday. And it just felt like the right thing to have happen would be for UMBC to finally make a three uh, at the end. And the play was set up perfectly. The ball was in Joe Sherburn's hands, as we thought it would be, Gary. Uh, and he got in the lane, saw the double team, and there's Jose Placer wide open. And the retrievers were just due to make one, and they did with what I think it was 2.4 seconds left. So I was a little bit off. It wasn't at the buzzer. It was with 2.4 left. <laughs> yeah, but it certainly was one of the great comebacks. You know, Ryan and I were talking about it. It's one of the greatest that I can remember. Uh, I know Ryan's been here. This is his third season. But, Coach, I mean, you know, can you describe your emotions when that shot went in? Was it relief? Was it what, – what was it exactly? Yeah, I mean, just excitement, <laughs> you know, for the guys. I mean, obviously you're – Your emotion, you're, Ryan, was set up the defense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're immediately waiting for the horn to go off, and you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the next play here? And certainly that was to defend it. So we subbed Sam in, put him on the ball – and uh, then began to switch everything. And Brandon made a nice play on the ball there on the last, the last heave down the court. But, you know, just a remarkable ending. You know, you've got to give, uh, you know, Josh Rosario a lot of credit uh, for, you know, what he was able to do. Hadn't played a lot this year, and, and we inserted him in the lineup there with 12 minutes or so to go. And, you know, he made some big plays for us. Not, not a lot of, you know, stats in the game. Uh, but certainly on that last play, his push up the court and the speed at which he did it, you know, after going back and right. watching it, you know, was key to us even being able to get the shot off, you know, because he pushed it up so fast. Now all of a sudden he had two guys on him, kicks it back to Joe. Joe has a little bit of space. Of course they're going to run at Joe because he can shoot. He gets around, and then Joe's trust, you know, to give it to, to Jose in that, in that situation who hadn't been in the game in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was really remarkable. That's what a team's all about. And uh, it was fun, fun to see that happen. John, you know, I thought your comment was interesting. I don't remember exactly when, maybe eight or nine minutes to go. They had an 18-point lead with 12 minutes to go. But then UMBC managed to whittle it down to maybe it was single digits, nine or ten. And you made a comment saying that if you think about it, the pressure is really all on New Hampshire at this point. Because they're fighting to get into the conference tournament. UMBC has already guaranteed at least one home game. So how does a young team like New Hampshire that lost its leading scorer and leading rebounder of all time coming into the season, do they have enough to, ho- to hold on to this lead? And ultimately, they actually didn't have enough. Yeah, and again, a lot of it did have to do with, with the pressure uh, that UNH w- was under. Their season was on the line if they wanted to play in the conference tournament. Uh, a young team, one senior who plays really a lot of minutes and a lot of freshmen and sophomores, and a team that that's not doesn't know how to win. Uh, they they beaten Albany on Wednesday, but they'd actually beaten them fairly easily. They had not won very many close games mm-hmm. during the season, whereas UMBC has been in a whole bunch of close games uh, during the season, and this was the second time. Uh, as we all know, that Ryan brought somebody off the bench in the final few seconds who hadn't played yeah. for much of the second half and allowed him to take the, the what turned out to be the winning shot. In the Albany game, it was Ricky Council, and in this game, it was Jose Placer. And that does go to the confidence a coach has in his players and players having confidence because they know the coach believes in them. But uh, you just we've all seen a lot of games. And you get to a certain point in the game where you feel like the team that's not supposed to win, 
which was New Hampshire, who had a big lead, is starting to look over their shoulder. And, and the, the most, the, the example I remember the most, and, and you'll forgive me for bringing this up as a Duke graduate, but at the 2001 Final Four, Maryland was up 22 on Duke with five and a half minutes left in the first half. And Mike Krzyzewski called timeout, and I'm looking across the way, and the Maryland fans are literally dancing in the aisles. This is their dream come true. <laughs> they're in the Final Four, and they're, beating, they're kicking their nemesis's butt in the Final Four. And I turned to George Solomon, the sports editor of the Post, who was sitting next to me, and I said, you see those people sitting over there dancing right now? And he said, yeah. I said, in about 90 minutes, they're going to be brokenhearted. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, Duke's going to win this game. And he said, they're down 22. And I said, yes, they are. But they're, they're not going to go away. They're going to rally. They're going to make this game close. They're too good and too well coached, like UMBC's too well coached. No, uh, not sucking up, Ryan, but it's true, <laughs> um, to just go away. And when Maryland sees them in the rearview mirror because of the team's histories with one another, they're going to they're fade. And sure enough, Duke ended up winning by 11. Now, UMBC wasn't down 22, but they were down 18 with a lot less time left. But once they got, I think I said to you on the air, Gary, if UMBC gets this in single digits, yes. New Hampshire is going to start to feel their footsteps. That's and right. Obviously, they did. Yeah. Coach, what about what John says? The fact that you guys have been in games like these, you've won a lot of games towards the you know, final minute, even at the buzzer. That experience to draw on in those situations. Yeah, no question. I mean, I think it's definitely a factor. I mean, it's, you know, it's not something that you want to make a habit of doing. You know, you don't want to be down a lot and having to come back all the time, especially at the end of a game. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, eventually that'll catch up with you. But, um, you know, certainly we have a young team. We've had, you know, a lot of guys in and out of the lineup, you know, from an injury standpoint. So we've had to insert different guys at different times. And, you know, I think it goes back to at the beginning of the season, we talked about, you know, the, the strength of our team could be the depth, you know, at some point. Like, if we're able to have a winning season and, and, and do really well, it could be because of, you know, the depth that we have. And not to say that we have better players or we have better coaches than the other teams. It's just we've, we had numbers, you know, at least to start. And uh, if we allowed it to be a strength, it could be. And uh, I think it's proven true. You know, we wouldn't have been able to sustain, you know, the injuries that we have this year. But, uh, you know, when you get in games like the other night, um, you know, you got to credit New Hampshire because they had to create that lead, and they did a really good job within the game carrying on the momentum that they had from their win at Albany and playing really well, uh, you know, against us. It was a close game at half, and, you know, my team, our team here at UMBC has been really good coming out of half. This particular game, we were not coming out of halftime, and they took a 10-point lead pretty quickly. And then we started, you know, getting a little bit uh, – we were hurt. And our feelings were hurt mm. probably a little bit mm -hmm. uh, during that, that game. And then all of a sudden we found ourselves down 18. And, and, you know, there was nothing really left to do other than step up and fight. And, you know, to our guys' credit, they did that. Mm -hmm. Hey, John, playoffs begin next week, as I'm sure you know. We'll be together for that game. Ryan will be on the opposite side of the court. Um, handicap, or not, not even handicap, but just – Overall, conference, I looked at the preseason coaches poll. They seem to get everything pretty much right, except for maybe UMass Lowell was a little bit of a surprise this year. Right, right. Lowell was picked, picked last because 
they lost a great player, but uh, they, they, I think they were a better team this year yes. uh, than last year when, when they were so dependent on, on one player. Uh, and they, they moved up in, in the conference standings to, to be the fifth seed. But I, I think, obviously, Vermont has to be the favorite, although I'm sure they would be delighted to not play UMBC <laughs> again, given what's gone on in the last three games, including the two this season. Um, but the, 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 their only two losses in conference, um, obviously, were, were to, um, to UMBC and, until that Hartford game. And I think that, the, that really we've seen during the regular season, Gary, that any team in this league, any of the eight that will play, can, can compete with anybody else. I'm not saying Maine will walk in to Vermont and beat Vermont, but I, I think they'll, they'll give them a game. And I think this is a tough draw for UMBC. Albany is always a tough out. Uh, they're a very good rebounding team. They played a lot better down the stretch. They beat UMBC at Albany, and it took that uh, shot by Ricky Council in Albany in, in, uh, uh, at UMBC to get the win in the first game. So that's a tough first-round game. And, of course, if UMBC survives – um, we'll see who they play in, in the semis, but I think Ryan will be happy to play anybody if they get there. Yeah, I, I think so. And, guys, I think also as I look at all the teams, you know, to me, and we knew Hartford was going to be a difficult team for people because of their, their size, their experience. Uh, all five guys basically, all five starters basically scoring double digits. They love to hit the three-pointer. And seniors. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And they, and Coach, you know, know that better than anybody. Yeah. Two tough games with Hartford, but they were able to beat UMBC twice this year. They really were, yeah. They, the gal's done a great job, you know, with his team. And, and their, their team reminds me a little bit of our team last year, mm-hmm. you know, just they find ways. You know, with their experience and their 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 play at the end of games, you know, to to make it happen. And uh, I love their guards, you know, and they've got a good mix of of their guards, and then their front court guys can really cause problems. And you know, they they play well from the three point line, and uh, they're, they're shooting it really well right now down the stretch. But I mean, I agree with John. I mean, you know, as you look at at, at our league right now. I would expect to see, you know, uh, I would expect the unexpected, mm-hmm. honestly, in, in this conference tournament because there are a lot of teams playing well, you know, down the stretch here. I mean, Stony Brooks, you know, played excellent. You know, they were in a tight game with Vermont at Vermont the other night. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, you've got several games down the stretch here that you know, will determine kind of where this thing ends up. But, uh, you know, it's going to be hard fought. You know, whoever gets through our conference is going to be, you know, well positioned. Do you think the conference is overall better than last year, different than last year? How would you compare year over year? I think it's more even you know, mm-hmm. this year. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily better than, than last season because there were a lot of good teams last year. But I will say that it's more even, you know, one through eight, like John said. So anything could happen as we go into this tournament. Right. John, final thoughts on uh, what's about to transpire beginning Saturday. Well, I, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, this is the best time of year. I think the conference tournaments, especially in the one-bid leagues, mm. are, are full of great suspense and great drama. And, you know, to, to get to that Virginia game last year, UMBC had to win at Vermont. 
a place it had not won in years and years and years, and won an incredibly dramatic game with Jarris Lyles hitting that shot uh, at at the buzzer. And uh, I think it'll be just like that again this year. And 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 it's a fun time of year. That's why we talk about March Madness, cliche though it is. And I'm I'm psyched for Saturday. I think it'll be a tough game. I think it'll be a really competitive game. And I hope UMBC continues to play beyond Saturday. And I, I agree with you on everything, John. Thank you so much. Appreciate you as always. My pleasure, guys. See you on Saturday. Yep, All you. right, John. Thanks. Thank you. That is John Feinstein, my broadcast partner on the ESPN broadcast of UMBC Basketball. Coach, that's about it. That is it. I won't see you till Saturday. I uh, know. Have a good couple days and good luck on Saturday. Thank you so much. First round of the America East Conference Tournament. It'll be Albany at UMBC Saturday from the UMBC Event Center. Game time will be 1 o'clock. For Ryan Odom, for John Feinstein, for Nate Dixon, I'm Gary Stein. Thanking you. We'll see you next time. Oh, and also, actually, this is the last regularly scheduled show, the last regularly scheduled Ryan Odom coaches report. We may have a postseason version for you, so keep tuned in on that, and hopefully we'll be able to send that your way. Thanks so much.